here. I mean, had a flashback of camp there for just one second there. <laughs> I looked down and there were little girls at my feet. Because I always remember they do it in revival camp. And Daniel's get up there and all the kids would jump up on the stage. <laughs> I got a recording of him and the kid, kid said something to him. And he, I think he said, what, what are we doing up here or something like that. And he kind of said it and Daniel said, I think that's tongues. Anybody got an interpretation for me? <laughs> and somebody said, I think he said, what are we doing up here? He says, well, because he says, because I'm lonely <laughs> and I like you right here. So Daniel would have all these kids gathered around him and he'd be singing and worshiping and all these kids, he'd jump around. Remember that? That was pretty fun when Daniel would get going like that. <laughs> uh, he'd get kids up there with flags and pretending they were playing guitars on the flags and stuff. It was pretty fun. All right, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, you could turn to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to start there. I'm going to put my shoes on. Excuse me. My feet are cold on that concrete. It's on my feet all day, but mostly yesterday. I had kind of a fun evening last night. I went to Holy Rosary Church and the College of St. Scholastica, the vocal department, put on a Christmas concert at Holy Rosary, which is a big Catholic church in town. It was pretty fun. They did a they had lots of vocal, you know, the, all the choirs. They have different kinds of choirs and stuff, and they did a, a bunch of music and, you know, surrounded people with down the aisles and up in the balcony. And they had, to, you know, it's kind of fun. I grew up Lutheran, and and uh, in our church, we had a, you know, or, small organ. And then there was a guy that came there who knew how to build pipe organs. So he built this big pipe organ in our church. It was like, oh. so they played a pipe organ last night. It's pretty fun. Go to a place where you can actually hear that pipe organ really reverberate through the whole place like that. And then they get up and they start singing, you know, joy to the world. up there cranking away on that thing. It's pretty cool. But that was a fun evening to listen to those kids sing. That was, those guys did a really good job this last night. Very inspiring holiday music. All right, Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 1 through 10 to start with here. It says, You used to be dead because of your offenses and sins that once practiced as you lived according to the ways of this present world and according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now active in those who are disobedient. Indeed, all of us once behaved like them in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and our senses. By nature, we were destined for wrath just like everyone else, but God, oh, there's a great phrase in the middle of that right there, you think about what he just, he just got done saying, and then right in the middle of that, he says, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love for us, that even when we were dead because of our offenses, made us alive together with the Messiah. Say that with me. He made us alive with the Messiah. Isn't that great? It says, by, For by grace you have been saved, raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in the Messiah, Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the limitless riches of his grace that come through, to us through his kindness, the Messiah, Jesus. For by such grace you have been saved through faith. This does not come from you. It is the gift of God and the result not of actions to put a stop to all boasting. For we are God's masterpiece. Do you believe you're a masterpiece? Lauren, you're a masterpiece. Think, let that sink in there, okay? You're a masterpiece. God created us as a masterpiece. 
teaching. He does. He created the Messiah Jesus to perform good actions that God prepared long ago to be our way of life. And he uses that phrase, Messiah Jesus, about five or six times in that scripture. Pretty cool. I'm going to tell you a story. Years ago, there was a very wealthy man who had a devoted son, and they shared his passion for collecting art. Together, they traveled around the world, adding all these fine treasures to their collection, priceless works, Picassos, Van Goghs, Monets. We've seen some of those. You've probably seen some of those somewhere. You've heard the names, no doubt. I don't know if anybody here owns a Picasso or a Van Gogh. Anybody in here? <laughs> I heard that, Mary. <laughs> Lauren's raising his hand. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Many of these things, they, they adorn the walls of the family estate. The widowed father looked down with satisfaction as his only child became an experienced art collector, and they shared this art collection together. But one day, uh, war came and engulfed the nation, and the, his son left to serve his country. And after only a few short weeks, the father received a telegram that his son had been killed while carrying a fellow soldier to the medic. On Christmas morning, a knock came at the door of the old man's house, and as he opened the door, he was greeted by a soldier with a large package in his hand, and he introduced himself to the man by saying, I was a friend of your son, and I was the one he was rescuing when he died. May I come in for a few moments? I have something I'd like to show you. I'm an artist, he said, and I want to give you this. And as the old man unwrapped the package, the paper gave way to reveal a portrait of his son. Though the art critics would never consider this work a piece of genius, the painting did feature the young man's face in striking detail and seemed to capture his personality. The following spring, the old man passed away. The art world was in great anticipation, as according to the will of the old man, all the art would be auctioned off. So the day arrived and art collectors from around the world gathered to bid on some of the world's most spectacular paintings and collection. The auction began with a painting that was not on any museum's list. It was the painting of the man's son. The auctioneer asked for an opening bid. The room was silent. He said, who will open the bidding with $100? Minutes passed with not a sound from those who came to buy. From the back of the room, someone called out, who cares about that painting? It's just a picture of his son. Let's forget it and go to the important stuff. There were other voices that echoed the agreement, but the auctioneer replied, no, we have to sell this one first. Now, who will take the son? Finally, a family of the old man, a friend of the old man spoke up and said, I knew the boy, so I'd like to have it. I'll bid, you, bid $100. I have a bid of $100, called the auctioneer. Will anyone go higher? I wish I could do an auctioneer thing. Wouldn't that be fun? After a long silence, the auctioneer said, going once, going twice, gone, and the gavel fell. Tears filled the room, and someone was saying, well, now let's get on with it. As the auctioneer looked at the audience, he announced that the auction was over. Stunned disbelief quieted the room. Someone spoke up and said, what? what do you mean it's over? We didn't come here for a picture of some old guy's son. What about the rest of the painting? What, there are millions of dollars worth of art in this place. We demand to explain what's going on. The auctioneer replied, it's very simple. According to the will of the, man, the father, whoever takes the son gets it all. I think that line is such a great line. That is the essence of the story of Christmas and of Jesus' coming. That whoever takes the Son takes it all. The Bible puts it like this, that God gave us eternal life 
And this life is in his son, and who has the son has life. And he who does not have the son of God does not have life. That's 1 John 5, 11 and 12. So the one who has the son has it all. But what exactly is included in that all? I think there are several things. And I'd suggest the first thing, obviously, is the promise of new life in Christ because it means we now know what God looks like, right? The coming of Christ gave us a picture, a living picture of who God is. Christ's coming put a face on God, not necessarily physically, but for us to really understand who he is. The Bible says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, we're saying that today, all things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. That is what is meant when we talk about the incarnation. If you've heard that word incarnation around Christmas time, that's what it means. This is God came to earth wrapped in a human body. God wrapped himself in his flesh and he came to earth. He rose from the dead to help us know that we too will be raised. And he ascended to the Father and he's interceding for us right now. We've talked about that many times. He promised that he would return so that the eternal hope would burn in our hearts and he opened the doors of heaven. The day Jesus arrived, this is my thought process on this today. This is what I was pondering through the last night when I was finalizing this. The day that Jesus arrived, everything on earth changed. Can you grasp that idea of how quickly everything changed when Jesus arrived? Right? The day that Jesus arrived is so important that we wrap the Gregorian calendar around it. We talk about B.C., before Christ, and we talk about A.D. So we measure time based on the, on the fact that Jesus came. That's how important it was to the earth, for, for human beings, that he came and set a, a new clock to us. So our way of dating history is completely different. We started a new checkpoint in the fabric of time, and that's based upon when Jesus came. So, I'll ask you this question. Imagine, I'll leave you to ponder this through the Christmas week. Imagine what the world would be like if God in the person of Jesus had never come to earth. We wouldn't have the high expressions of music that came from Bach and Beethoven. I mean, think about Handel's Messiah. We sing that at Christmas time, you know. That type of music, we wouldn't have any, that the inspiration of those things wouldn't be, have come to the writers. Harvard and Yale would not exist because they were started, believe it or not, as Christian institutions of higher learning. If you research both of those institutions, the founders of these schools believed that to study science was to study the work of God and understand how he made the earth. Many hospitals, think about this. There's a hospital sitting downtown that wouldn't be there. I mean, Essentia wouldn't be here. Because they were so inspired, the Benedictine sisters were so inspired by the gospel and the life of Christ and had hearts full of compassion for those who were ill, they began the hospital to be an expression of the love of Jesus to the hurting and, and the ill. College of St. Scholastica wouldn't be here. That was founded by Benedictine sisters. Sister uh, Curse, I think was her name, K-E-R-S-T. They just arrived from out east and stopped in Duluth and they drove up the hill in a carriage 
It's an interesting story. I've been to Scholastic quite often. They, go, they just drove these horses and stuff up the hill, and they found what was called the Daisy Farm, which was just a that blank piece of property where it is now. And they said, this is where God wants us to build a college of institution of higher learning. And they built a college. Our son Andrew wouldn't have his nursing degree. <laughs> that wouldn't even be, there would be no YMCA. There'd be no Salvation Army. There'd be no Red Cross. Think about all these things that would happen. We don't have half a Bible. <laughs> the, the whole front half of the Bible. We wouldn't have heard of the love of a personal God. God would have never visited the world and we would have no hope of his return. And we live with the blessed hope that he's going to come back someday. And all this is going to be wiped away. Right? Without Jesus, Mary Magdalene would have died in her sins. Matthew, the tax collector, would have been a traitor to his countrymen and died in that. The Roman soldier would have continued his cruelty if not changed by the power of Jesus. Peter, James, and John would have been nothing more than fishermen. Fish. The apostle Paul would have never been more than a cruel Pharisee steeped in legalism with an unrelenting demand for perfection through them. That the writing moment came to know Jesus, which is based upon the epistles. But that wouldn't have happened. The people who needed healing during the time that Jesus lived would have died or would have still been broken in body and spirit. The lame would have been lame. The blind would have stayed in dust. We would have never heard these praises. Peace I leave to you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives, but let your hearts not be troubled and do not and if we quoted that to others and ourselves in our times of, we, would have, we wouldn't have those to quote. We wouldn't say, I have told you this, so that joy might be, joy might be complete. Misunderstand joy. I have come that they might have life full. This is why we sing songs. We did a couple of them this morning about man, that God is with us. Because he was with us a thousand years ago, and he's still here with us now to show us what God is like. We have a God who cared enough to come, and no other religion in the world can claim that. But God cared much that he became personal and to live among people. He was a friend of sinners and friends of people. Who, he showed love and compassion to the outcasts of the world. He healed us, raised the dead, and he taught us not to value the values of the world to our worth. Can you imagine that? That we would still be struggling value in the world. The arrival of Jesus is that God cares about people. I don't seem valuable by the world, but he places a 